Thank you for joining us today and a big thank you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. Karen and I have been trialing their designs for a few months and we can happily recommend them. All designs are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Hi there. Did you know that endurance runners are at a high risk of a bone stress injury? Karen and I believe that prevention is better than cure. So being aware of the risk factors and having a strategy to help prevent bone stress injuries or fractures is vital. Today, we'll share why being a runner puts you at risk, what key nutrients are vital for bone health, and also we'll be sharing some training hacks to help you have good bone health, avoid an injury, and make sure that you're not out of training for any length of time. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs, the podcast for female runners of all abilities. Please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith, nutritionists, friends, and runners, who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy to apply tips and plans, helping you enjoy peak running performance. And especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. The suggestions we make during this episode are for guidance and advice only, and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Ailey to design a personalised sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Hub. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Karen and I'm here with Aileen, as always. And our topic for today is healthy bones for female runners. But before we get into that, I would just like to say welcome to our regular listeners. And if you're listening for the first time, a really warm welcome to you. And we hope that you enjoy this episode and all the episodes to follow. And just to remind you that we have lots of episodes and blogs in our back catalogue. So we do hope you'll enjoy browsing the wide variety of topics we have there to really help you with your female health and your running performance. So moving on today, we're going to answer the questions. Why are endurance runners at risk of bone stress injuries? Then we'll look at what are the key nutrients for bone building and then finish with how to approach your run training plan to promote healthy bones for you. Now, none of us really want time out from our running due to bone stress, injuries or fracture. But I'm really thinking, Aileen, what's the bigger picture? Why are we talking about this subject today? Hi, Karen. Hi, everyone. Uh, Well, the bigger picture is that endurance runners are at risk of bone stress injuries and a high percentage of midlife females are also at risk of losing bone mineral density, which increases their risk of bone injuries. Okay, that's really interesting. I'm just wondering, Aileen, what's your personal motivation for this subject? Well, I think as probably everybody knows, uh, because I talk about it quite a lot, is about three years ago, um, I discovered that I had osteoporosis and that was following a wrist fracture. Um, And 
as a result of that, I've become really passionate about bone health. And I really like sharing with everyone how best to look after bone health, particularly as midlife women and as runners. And I guess, you know, for most people, and I certainly fell into that category, um, people don't think about bone health until there's a problem. So I'm hoping that having this discussion will help women be aware of the importance of bone health and also how to nourish your bones uh, with food choices, but also with your training approach. And I, I guess my personal drive is a I really don't want my osteoporosis to get worse. Uh, I don't want to have any future fractures because it was really debilitating and it did affect my overall health for quite some time uh, because it, it stopped me exercising in my usual way. So that's that's what drives me, Karen. That's my personal motivation. Yeah, and I remember you going through that, Aileen, and how frustrating it was for you when um, when you did have to take your time out running. And like we said at the beginning, that's not what we want to do. But this is actually is a subject that's close to my heart as well, um, because I'm sure as everybody is aware, in the past I have suffered from bone stress injuries and all also, I've got osteopenia. And um, and as you were saying, Aileen, bone health should really be on everybody's health agenda, but especially midlife women. Now, we often find that our postmenopausal clients will tell us that supporting bone health is a concern. So when we're putting their personalised nutrition plans in place for their running, we do also add in food and supplements to support that bone health. So it is something that we hear a lot a lot about from our clients. Now, we have talked about bone stress injuries in episodes 21 and 24 in quite a lot of detail. But could you maybe just recap a little bit, um, Aileen, on what exactly bone stress injury is or BSI for short? So a lot of people hear of it as BSI. Yeah, when you read uh, any literature or even um you know, articles on, on the web, BSI is something that people refer to. So what it is, a, a BSI or a bone stress injury occurs when there's a repeated mechanical load to a bone that doesn't have the ability to withstand that load. Now, uh, a bone stress injury might develop due to either extrinsic factors, so that is the load applied to the bone, or intrinsic factors, which is related to the strength of the bone. And, and that is the area that might be affected by nutritional status. Okay. And what is it that makes endurance run, runners at increased risk of bone stress injuries? Um, well, I guess, you know, some of the underlying health factors that we need to consider, and, and this would be related to anybody, not necessarily just a runner. Uh, but if you already have a health condition that reduces uh, bone density, uh, such as osteoporosis, uh, maybe you've got a poor nutrient status, which underpins uh, poor bone health. Um, and maybe you've got a prior stress injury to the bone. So all of these things uh, might predispose you to having a bone stress injury um, or it could be related to your training uh, you know maybe the duration of training the distance that you're running uh, the rest and recovery strategy or, or lack of one uh, or maybe perhaps it's related to poor biomechanics or running techniques so there's quite a lot of things that could be contributing to uh, the situation Absolutely. Quite a lot of different risk factors and ones maybe that we wouldn't 
particularly think about, especially running technique. You know, we just run and the way we run is the way we run. But is that potentially putting extra load on the bone? That's a really interesting point. Now, we are going to be talking about nutritional approaches to supporting bone health in a few minutes, which would maybe help us address some of these underlying health risk factors that you've just mentioned, Aileen. But before we do that, Let's maybe just explore a a little more about how endurance running and our approach to our training might be adding to that risk of bone stress injury. Aileen, can you elaborate? Yeah, sure. So um, people might already know that um, the bone remodeling process involves a sort of a, a process where we're sort of breaking down bone and building it back up. So osteoclast cells remove old damaged bone and osteoblast cells form new bone tissue and ideally this process is in balance but um, sometimes if the new tissue isn't if the new tissue is replaced more slowly than the old tissue um, then that can lead to weakness and that's sort of the underlying reason for osteoporosis Um, and so it can lead to weakness it can lead to risk of injury and potentially Uh, bone stress injuries. Now, this process is going on all the time and it's independent of exercise. However, the right type and volume of exercise can have a positive effect on bone remodeling. Yeah, absolutely. Because as runners, you know, we are told that running, also walking and body weight exercises are good for bone health. And um, all of these exercises are supportive. But it's overtraining that then may become um, a risk factor for that bone stress injury. An adapting approach to training, rest, recovery could help to reduce that risk factor. So, Aileen, what are the aspects of training which may be influencing these risk factors? Well, if we if we you know take a, a few different examples and, and assume that there aren't any underlying health issues, I think there are a couple of categories of at-risk runners. So the first group I would describe as being the serious recreational runners, the ones who run long distances week in and week out, um, but they're so focused that they never um, put into their schedule rest days or scheduled rest weeks. So there is a great potential for repetitive overloading for those people. And then the second group of recreational runners may be the people who perhaps run seasonally, uh, maybe in the spring and the summer months. And what happens is they take on a challenge and they ramp up their training too quickly. And what happens is that these rapid increases in training loads might increase the risk of running injuries. So many training plans um, suggest increasing running volume by 10% on a weekly basis. So you're gradually building up. But there is another approach which I read about, Karen, which I hadn't heard of before. And it's called the acute to chronic workload ratio. So the ACWR uh, Mm -hmm. approach. And uh, that is used as a guide to training uh, load. And what that um, is based on is looking at the ratio of workload for the previous week to the ratio of the average workload of the previous three to six weeks, which sounds quite complicated. And I guess this is more for the professional athlete, but it's just another way of thinking about it. And and the reason that, um, you know, this ratio is uh, applied, it's it's with thinking about your training goal um, being 
to avoid the increases or spikes in um, in loading. So that's another way to think about planning. If you are somebody who's, you know, a seasonal runner and you're thinking, right, I'm going to train for a marathon over the spring and the summer, uh, give yourself enough time and build up uh, regularly. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to work out what that ACWR is actually telling us. So is that sort of saying that you would... You would be training for, say, four to six weeks, um, increasing it. And depending on how much you'd increase, you would then have a week where you'd be doing less. Or have I read that? No, I think what it's saying is that um, you you would, I mean, you'd need a little bit of historical data, really. So you'd have to, um, you would, you're, you would have to sort of work out what your previous three to six weeks training load was. And yeah. then, um look at what training you were going to do the next week you wouldn't make it so high that you would have a higher a high ratio um yes. i can't specifically at this moment tell tell you what the ratio should be um so I'll, I'll put a link into the paper that i i found it was just um i just thought it was just an interesting one to investigate but maybe it's it's more really for the professional athlete yeah it is really interesting and, and sort of feeds into the way my my running coach um, does my running plan. She does three weeks of incremental increase in distance, in um, sort of intensity, etc. And then on the fourth week, she pulls it back a bit. And yeah. then I'm still doing it and it's easy. And then the following three weeks, she's increasing it again. And then she'll pull back for a week. So it sounds as though it's a bit, it's a bit similar to that. Yeah, yeah, possibly. Yeah. Possibly. yeah. Okay, and I was just thinking about a third group, you know, we're speaking about people who are at risk, Aileen, and I think there's a, probably a third group, and it's those who ignore niggly injuries, which develop into um, bone stress injuries. Um, and, and I think bone stress injuries typically occur three to four weeks after a major workload error. You know, we may not even realise we have an injury or perhaps that, like I say, we're ignoring some niggly pain that's associated with it. So if we keep training and loading the bone where we might be exacerbating the pro the problem and slowing down the bone remodeling process that you were speaking about. So it's not that the, the, the new bone is not being laid down as quickly as the old bone is disappearing. And um, and that's when we're then at increased risk of these BSIs. Yeah, that, so that's another uh good example there Karen and I think you know on reflection we can all see either know people that fall into these categories yeah. or identify where potentially we fall into these categories ourselves so um, it's just bearing in mind um, those particular risk factors and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more as we go on about some things that you can do to um, sort of make sure the, the risk factors are sort of being mitigated I, I guess. Yeah. Um, so one of the one of the papers I read was a 2021 paper, and that was all about preventing bone stress injury in runners uh, with optimal workload. And that's a really detailed uh, review paper, um, and it gives quite a lot of in-depth explanation around what influences bone stress injuries in endurance runners. And um, it does sort of back up what we've just been saying about these different groups of runners, our, our theory on why they might be at risk. Um, so what what the, the um, 
researchers on that paper were saying that is that all bone stress injuries in runners occur due to an error in workload uh, where there's an, an interaction between the number and the magnitude of bone loading bone tissue loading cycles where that exceeds the ability of the tissue to resist the repetitive load so that's like a, a sort of scientific uh, description of why why you get that error in workload mm. and when there is an error in workload what happens is there this micro damage accumulation and that might outweigh the ability of the bone to either repair or resist damage and they talk about this bone remodeling timeline, which I thought was quite interesting, which is the transition period between the, the bone re resorption and formation, uh, which is what we were talking about earlier, that sort of uh, breaking bone down and, and building it back up. So the, the, there's two parts of bone tissue. The, the hard part of the bone tissue, the cortical bone, takes approximately four weeks to heal. And then the internal part of the bone structure, the spongy trabicular part of the bone, can take up to 12 months for full mineralization. So when I was like reading about that, I was thinking back to when I broke my wrist and how, you know, you get you get a cast on for, for a, a relatively short few weeks. And then they say, yeah, it's, it's healed. But actually, in reality, it, it you know, that's just the beginning of the healing process. You've got so many more months ahead of you. Um, putting that bone um, structure back in place. Um, so you can imagine if you don't take, you know, enough time to recover in between, um, you know, having a bone stress injury and starting your training, um, you know, that, that you might be compromising that bone remodeling process. Um, so it's not about not doing no exercise, but it's about doing the right type and enough exercise if you have a, an injury. Yeah, that, I think that is really interesting information, Amy, because like you say, you know, four weeks after an injury, you four to six weeks, you're told, yeah, you're absolutely fine. Or maybe they'll get, say, three months at a push. And But actually, when you think that it's it's 12 months before bone has fully, fully um, uh, remineralized and has become stronger, it's a really interesting point. Now, you said it's about taking time to recover from the injury. Did the paper make any suggestions about rest periods, about that length of time that you should rest? Well, it wasn't really um, talking about rest periods following an injury, but this was more about uh, a prevention strategy, I guess. Um, right. so what they were suggesting is that for, uh, for a runner who's running all year round, that you should um, have at least one full rest day a week and that you should also schedule a full one-week rest period every three months as a foundation. Um, so again, they were talking about uh, probably professional athletes, but you know there are a lot of rec recreational runners who are, are on the cusp of being professional because it's just like constant, isn't it? You know they're doing it all the time, and maybe they're the ones that haven't got the trainers and the coaches saying actually you need to stop now and go for a rest. Um, so um, I think. Um, that's you know good advice and uh, it's maybe something that people haven't thought about before you know even people when they go on holiday they're still thinking I've got to fit in running um, so so I think that's interesting to have that I mean we all know about a one rest day a week but have we ever thought about those of us who run all the time um you know do you need to schedule your one rest week every three months um so for that for seasonal athletes um 
what so they're, they're making a distinction between the people that run all year round and then the seasonal athletes that we were talking about earlier um and also perhaps thinking about professional competitive athletes who run in a seasonal way what they suggest is pre-season that you should consider a progressive bone loading and general conditioning program and that will help dampen the spike in workload following um you know the the down period that you've just come out of so it's like almost like a transition before you get into the um serious run training and and that would be particularly important for any athlete with a history of bone stress injuries um and also at the end of the competitive season to um, phase in a, a, a workload reduction. And so I guess that would be more in, in line with you if you're a professional athlete. Yeah, like you say, this is for professional athletes, but I think it's really good advice for recreational runners to follow as well. And, you know, that rest day a week is certainly something that, I follow, but a rest week every three months is just not something that I and potentially a lot of runners wouldn't consider. But when you think we're also midlife female runners, it is something to consider um, putting in place just to help reduce that risk of um, of getting a, a, a bone stress injury. Um, so, Aileen. Moving on from there, shall we now talk about nutrition next? And then we'll come back to how changes in training might be able to support bone health. So, um, so Aileen, back to you. As a midlife woman, what nutrients should we be considering for our food plans? Okay, so um, when we're thinking about supporting healthy bones, uh, there are a few, again, there's a few sort of uh, underlying um health things that we should be considering as well as the nutrients we're eating. Um, so it's important to have a healthy body composition. It's important to eat enough for energy expenditure and also to follow an anti-inflammatory food plan. So um, the, there's a potential danger if we undereat or we're following any kind of calorie restriction that potentially this will downregulate um, IGF-1, which is insulin-like growth factor. And that's required uh, for bone modeling. Um, so it's really important uh, not to, as I say, undereat. Um, and it's also important to focus on the nutrient content of your food. So making sure that you've got nutrient dense food containing the bone building nutrients that we're going to talk through in a moment. And if you're eating less, then you've got less opportunity to get all those bone building nutrients. So that's the, that's the connection there. And, and also um, following the an anti-inflammatory food plan is important because inflammation is known to drive bone loss. Um, so linking that with being a healthy body composition or a healthy weight is that um, if, if you are in a healthy body composition, that will support a healthy inflammation status. Um, so all of those things are sort of the key underpinning things that you need to be thinking about when it comes to bone health. Yeah, and you mentioned there, Aileen, about following an anti-inflammatory food plan. And we have talked a lot about 
that type of approach to food and diet in previous episodes. But just as a reminder, you know, an anti-inflammatory food plan would include foods such as oily fish, small amounts of lean meat, poultry, white fish, and also plant foods such as nuts and seeds, beans, legumes, the whole grains, and lots and lots of colourful um and a colourful range of vegetables, salads and fruits. And that will help to support uh, that dampening down of the uh, of the inflammatory process and inflammation in the body. Now, the key really is to increase anti-inflammatory foods and minimise the pro-inflammatory foods. So minimise does not mean to, you need to totally eliminate but just not to overconsume them. So that's just just you, you can go back and listen to the the, the different episodes on um, inflammation. I think this one goes way back to um, to I think it's about episode 15 where we speak about the immune system for running. So go back and have a listen. But Aileen, shall we now talk about the key nutrients for bone building? Can you take us on that journey? Yeah, sure. So the the thing about um, getting specific nutrients for bone health, the important thing to consider is that all the nutrients that we're going to talk about act in synergy. And an analogy would be to consider them as working as a team. So independently, uh, they might do you some good, but they'll do you even more good if you have them all and you have them in the right form and the right um sort of proportions with each other now there's a book that i absolutely love that i'd really recommend everybody to read um, if they're interested in bone health and it's called healthy bones healthy you and it's by lara pisano who's a very eminent functional medicine practitioner um, and she's got a, a personal interest in osteoporosis and I just love that book and I think it'll give you lots of really great information. And And she was the one that introduced this concept of um, the nutrients working as a, as a team sport. So that runs through her whole theme of the book. So it's worth uh, having a read of that. Um, but the first nutrient that I wanted to talk about today, Karen, is protein. Uh, you know, we talk about protein a lot um, and um, the, the, the relationship protein has to bone health is that it stimulates the IGF-1 growth factor that we've just been talking about. Um, and what that does is it supplies uh, essential amino acids uh, also for collagen growth, um, and um, that helps with the bone matrix. So there are two good reasons um, for including protein. And also, it, uh, you know, as we know, it helps build and repair lean muscle mass, which is key for weight management. So protein is uh, king when it comes to uh, looking after bone health. Yeah, absolutely, Aileen. And just to add to that, you know, thinking about us as midlife female runners, the, the postmenopausal protein requirements are um, suggested to be between 1.2 grams to 1.6 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight per day. Now, you don't need to necessarily calculate or count your protein but really what we're just um asking here is just that you try to ensure that you're eating adequate protein at every meal and snack and as a as a rough guide just ensuring that quarter of your plate or a palm-sized portion of protein um at meals and and maybe half of that amount at snacks would be um, a good approach. And, and again, it is best to spread your protein intake across the day. So, so 
please don't miss protein at any of your meals or any of your snacks. You know, just to, when you're putting your plate together or your snack together, just check and see if you have got protein in there. Great. Yeah, great um, tips there, Karen. So let's get into some of the nutrients now um, that are, you know, specifically structural bone building nutrients. So the ones that I wanted to mention today are calcium, magnesium, uh, vitamin K2 and uh, vitamin D. So calcium is the nutrient that most of us will associate with bone health. And uh, for midlife women, we require between 1,200 and 1,500 milligrams per day uh, of calcium from a combination of food and supplements. But it's worth bearing in mind that typically we only absorb 50% of calcium from our food and supplements. So it's really it's vital to uh, ensure that you're consuming enough. Um, now, we're just going to really go into this in very quick detail today uh, just because of time constraints. But calcium sources um, predominantly are from dairy foods and also uh, tinned fish or canned fish because uh, the, t- the little fish that tend to be in those products have bones. So you, you, you get calcium in the little tiny bones that are in the, in the fish. And also there are lots of plant sources of calcium, which often people forget about. Um, So you get a lot of calcium in green leafy vegetables, in almonds and sesame seeds. Uh, You get them in in some dry fruit, pulses, uh, seaweed, and also in some fortified foods like plant milks and, and tofu. So lots of opportunity to get calcium into your food plan. This next nutrient uh, to talk about is magnesium. Um, So magnesium um, supports the absorption of of calcium. And uh, it also, when thinking about bone health, it should be in a ratio of two parts uh, calcium to one part magnesium. Um, so it's, it's that's really important for uh, bone building. So if you're looking at supplements, for instance, and it's a multi-supplement, that's the kind of ratio that you should be looking for on, on the list. So it's easy to get magnesium into your food plan. Um, so you get magnesium in whole grains, in nuts and seeds, uh, pulses, uh, dark green leafy vegetables, and also in cocoa and cacao products too. Um, so focus on your magnesium. Um, and then thinking about vitamin K2. So you often find uh, K2 in a cofactor in bone supplements and also in vitamin D supplements. So um, that's really um, helpful. And what vitamin K2 does, it, it, it activates osteocalcin and that directs calcium into the bones away from soft tissue. Um, so it's, it's really helps you make sure you're absorbing calcium in the right way. Now, you can get vitamin K2 through uh, some food sources. Uh, you can get it in um, liver, in um, some cheeses, Jarlsberg cheese in particular. It's in egg yolks and it's in a, a Japanese fermented soy called natto, which you can get, but it's a little bit difficult to buy in the UK. Um, so I think with vitamin K2, uh, is probably a bit more realistic to think that you're going to get that through a supplement than totally focusing on it uh, through the diet. Uh, and then we also mentioned vitamin D. 
Uh, we've talked about vitamin D. Um, I think we've even got an episode dedicated to it. So if, if I'll put the link into the show notes. Um, so it's really important that your vitamin D status is optimal. And because of that, we usually recommend to our clients that they test twice a year. And it's quite an accessible, affordable test. And if you want more information, drop us an email at hello at runnershealthup.com and we'll help you. Um, you predominantly you'll make your vitamin D through sunlight uh, and you'll get a small amount through food. So things like oily fish, egg yolks, mushrooms and also fortified food. Um, and then another one that I just wanted to add in here was collagen. Again, we've got another episode dedicated to collagen, episode 117. So collagen is really important um, to bone health because it helps with the uh, bone matrix. And um, you, you can get you know collagen through lots of different nutrients or you can take collagen as a supplement. So as I say, if you're interested in that, uh, listen to episode 117. So that's a, a very quick overview of some bone building nutrients, Karen. Thanks, Elaine. And, and, and yes, it's a quick overview, but it's quite a comprehensive overview as well of some of the, the key bone building nutrients. Now, there are other nutrients that you would want to consider as well, but we really don't have enough time today to cover them. Um, and I know you are planning an episode on food for bone health. So we'll go into more detail in that episode regarding other other nutrients um, and, and linking that to food and meal suggestions. So um, so look out for that episode as well, everyone. So, Aileen, shall we just stop for a, a short advert break now? Yeah, sure, Karen. So this is the moment in the episode where we take a minute just to tell you a little bit about what we do outside of the podcast. Um, so one of the things we often get asked about is supplements, and, and that's sort of quite um, top of mind because we, we're talking about bone building and supplements might be something that you're thinking about. Um, and we do offer generic epi- uh, advice during our episodes. Um, but as qualified registered nutritional therapists, there's lots of things we care about when advising clients about supplements that um, it's not so easy to do when we're, when we're talking to you during an episode. So the kind of things that uh, we're interested in as nutritional therapists is will the supplement be com- compatible with any prescribed medication you're taking? Is it in the best format and the best therapeutic dose to help support whatever your health goal or condition is? Um, We also are are really um, passionate about choosing reputable brands and and top quality, and we can help you make those kind of decisions. And also, uh, one of the things that we're really keen on is streamlining your supplement plan so that you don't have to take multiple supplements every day. You know, I sometimes get clients who you know, over the years, they've just kept adding and adding and adding and it's too much. And so it's a good idea just to review everything, pair it all back and give them what is a a sensible uh, amount of supplements to take in line with whatever the health goal is. And the most important thing is making sure that your supplement plan delivers the improvement in the symptoms that you're experiencing and your overall um, health and well-being and, and running performance. So because of all of those uh, aspects, we designed um, a one-to-one nutritional supplement review to help people. Um, And it includes an assessment of your current health and running goals, 
what medication you're on, what supplements you're currently taking, and then we design a follow-up supplement plan. So if you're interested in um, having some personalised input into the supplement plan, um, we'd, we'd love you to book um, a session with us. The fee for it is £149, but we also give you a discount code to purchase supplements via our uh, specialised supplier where you can get everything you want in a one-stop shop. And although it might seem like a high investment, we really think that in the long run, having a supplement review saves you wasting um, money on, on supermarket or internet supplements, which in, inevitably don't work for you because they've not been chosen for you personally. Um, so if you are interested, you can book uh, via our website, runnershealthhub.com. Um, or you can book a complimentary call with us and we can explain a little bit more and then you can decide if you want to book it. Um, and it's also worth mentioning that our personalised one-to-one nutrition programmes also include a supplement review and a plan, so that would be included in your programme package. So lots of help out there if you are sort of thinking, I don't know what to do next about supplements. There's three options there that you can try with us. Great. Thanks very much for that, Aileen. So now let's end up with how to approach your run training plan to promote healthy bones for you. Now, following on from our conversation about training progression, an area really to consider is the relationship between the duration and the intensity of your training. Now, the paper that Aileen mentioned earlier observed that it's safer to initially increase training volume than intensity and um and that and have that's led to the concept of high volume low velocity training so for example train slow to race fast which i really like that concept now the use uh, they use an example model which suggests that running the same distance but with decreased speed from 3.5 to 2.5 um, meters per second reduced tibial um, um, bone stress injury likelihood by half that's that's and that's really quite significant so if you are planning bouts of high speed training it would be wise to progress speed sensibly and speed running should then be coupled with temporary reductions in running volume so you're not trying to do it all you're differentiating now Amy did did this paper highlight any other areas of interest that you can you can um, um, enlighten us with? Yeah, well, another aspect uh, that was discussed was skeletal mechanical adaptation. Uh, And that's uh, where the bone structure adaptation responds to a physical stimuli such as exercise. So this is really important when it comes to think about how we're training. Um, So bone responds best to high magnitude loads introduced at high rates. So things like weight-bearing activities, including impulsive loading and and some degree of intermittent explosive jumping or sprinting, maybe with rapid changes in direction. All of these are are known to have the greatest um, osteogenic potential, so the greatest potential for bone building. So one of the things that I thought was quite interesting uh, was that Uh, They were recommending that for children and adolescents, it's really important to encourage 
multi-directional sports because that helps promote bone growth. So uh, the reason I'm mentioning that is that many of us know sort of young runners, uh, you know, children or, or teenagers in the family who are enjoying running. But it's really important to encourage um, taking part in other sports too because that's really going to help uh, build their, their bones and their skeleton uh, sort of at a young age. Um, and also um, the paper highlights that distance running doesn't necessarily encourage stimulation of bone building cells. So I thought this again was interesting because, you know, I think as you said earlier at the beginning, Karen, it was like, you know, we all think, well, yeah, we, we were running, so that must be good for our bones. And it, it's not necessarily bad for our bones, but it, it doesn't actually stimulate bone building cells. And the reason for this is that they say continuous repetitive loading can lead to the bone cells losing uh, mechanosensitivity so that they almost become deaf to the stimuli from bone building. So the implication is that after a few minutes of running, the bone cells find the monotonous undirectional loading to be boring and they stop responding. Gosh, Aileen, that's really interesting. And, and really what that would suggest is that it's not good news for, for us as distance runners who just do linear miles, really. Yeah, yeah, it is interesting. Mm. Uh, and it means that we can't rely on distance running alone uh, to support this Meccano adaptation for bone health. But there are a few things that we can do. So. Yeah, there are things we can do. So uh, one of the things that we can do is uh, consider um, what happens after we've done that run. And so what what they say is that having a rest period of 48 hours um, will enable the system to re regain that mechanosensitivity. So they sort of got over their boredom and they're waking up again. Uh, I'm talking about the cells when I say they. And, and after that period, um, you could add in a few minutes of what they call bone-centric exercise, so the plyometric type of exercise, and that can generate further bone adaptation. Um, so that's that's something that everybody could think about doing. Yeah, that is interesting. So, so I'm just thinking there, Aileen, if you did sort of some people do double sessions, you know, double training sessions in a day. So one might be running and the other be strength training. So that, in a way, would be quite supportive for bone health as long as you leave that that adequate uh, rest period in between so that the bone cells waken up again. That might actually be helpful. Yeah, sure. So, you know, you might go to the gym first thing in the morning and do your long run in the evening or vice versa. Yes. Um, yeah. And having that bit of time in the middle, but making sure that whatever you, maybe the gym session does include. Five minutes. I mean, they say a few minutes, so it might just be, they don't say how much, but maybe 10 minutes might be good as part of your gym session to help yeah. you. Yeah. Oh, really interesting. And another consideration really is using that periodization to promote the mechanosensitivity. So there was a it's an animal study, right enough, but there was um, a, that study which compared two groups and one that received continuous loading for 15 weeks versus a periodized approach of two five week blocks separated by a five week rest period. Now, despite receiving one third less cumul cumulative load, bone 
can't get my words out, Erin. Bone adaptation in the periodized group was greater since the rest period restored that mechanosensitivity prior to the recommencement of the loading. So that is interesting. So going back to what you said in the beginning about the importance of rest and when you're putting in your training plan every three months, having a rest week would support this as well. Yeah. In a running scenario, clinically, rest would involve potentially other conditioning activities such as cycling, swimming, water, running, things like that. And that load um that loads alternate skeletal sites. So you would be changing activities rather than totally resting. So for people who find um who would find it too difficult to just do nothing, just changing um changing up your routine and doing different activities like you were saying about the adolescence alien and ensuring that they include different sports. For us during that rest time and just doing other sports might be supportive as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I guess that um using that periodization approach would be helpful if you had a history of injuries as well. Uh, so a couple of his suggestions um, might be that if you're aiming to reduce your loading, you could think about adding in one or two treadmill sessions per week because this is thought to lower tibial bone strain compared to overground training. And also in this paper, they talked about gait retraining and they said that that may be helpful runners with repeat um, bone stress injury. And that would involve techniques to reduce ground force reaction or, or GRX um, and bone accelerations. But they also said there doesn't seem to be a lot of evidence to support gait retraining. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean it isn't supportive. But, you know, often it's just because there isn't the evidence, so they don't want to share it. That you know, they can't say it's good for you because they haven't done a study on it. Um, but I would always say, you know, take advice from your physio because there might be something that you could improve upon that would help you. Absolutely, yeah. I think it's about engaging lots. If you can engage um, lots of different professionals um, to get the best advice, really, on what is best for you as an individual. Um, so there's some really great information and advice in what we've discussed today, Aileen. But thinking about our conversation, um, what would you suggest possibly as one action point for everyone to to go away and take on board from from what we've spoken about? Well, I think um, an easy thing to do would be to look at how you can add some multi-directional or plyometric exercises into your weekly training plan whatever distance you run or whatever volume of training, that just seems a beneficial step for us all to do. Um, so that would be my one action point to recommend, Karen. Yeah, I think that's a really good one, Alien, and one that I will take on board as well and try and ensure that I I include plyometric training a bit more because it's not a it's not an approach I I particularly like, but it sounds as though it would really be supportive for me so, uh, in many different ways. So I will take that on board as well. Thank you very much. Okay. okay. I think we'll have to close there. But before we go, could you just round up with um, your key takeaways from today's episode? Yes. So um, just uh, going right back to the beginning, uh, thinking about how we can reduce the risk of 
bone stress injuries, uh, we need to think about considering the extrinsic and the intrinsic factors. So the extrinsic being the load that we apply to the bone and the intrinsic being the strength of the bone, which may be affected by nutritional status and underlying health conditions. Um, just a reminder that every runner should have at least one full rest day a week. And if you are running 12 months of the year, consider ad adding in uh, one week of full rest every three months as a minimum. If you're a seasonal runner, um, you should start to plan your training uh, with a conditional um, a conditioning phase uh, before you start your run training plan and then carefully plan how your training progresses so that you're not uh, putting undue loading stress on your bones by training too hard, too fast or too long over a short period. I think every endurance runner would benefit from adding the plyometric exercises that we mentioned earlier into their weekly training plan. And remember that this should include weight bearing and multi-directional activities, including things like explosive jumping and sprinting with rapid directional changes. And your food plan really should focus on uh, including abundant sources of protein, calcium, magnesium, vitamin K2 and vitamin D, and also collagen nutrients to promote bone building. And as we mentioned earlier, we will be having an episode in the next two or three weeks, I think, on uh, a bone building food plan. Um, so do look out for that because that will complement what we've been talking about today, uh, hopefully very nicely. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for that, Eileen. And thanks for talking about that prevention of the um, bone stress injuries. And I think it's given us all food for thought, to be honest, regarding our training and also regarding our food plans. And remember, everyone, don't let nutrition be the limiting factor in your running performance. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of She Runs, Eats, Performs, brought to you by Runners Health Hub, helping female runners to be fitter, faster and stronger. We really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon. In the meantime, we'd be so grateful if you check us out on iTunes and leave a review. And once again, thanks for listening and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now. We'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear for Women's Changing Bodies, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. We think they have everything a female runner needs. First of all, they are high compression to support your legs and bum. They have a deep waistband so they stay up and they don't move about when you run. There's a handy left pocket for your phone and a zip pocket on the waistband which is great for your cards or a key. They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device, and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. Karen and I have been trialing wearing their range for a few months, and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. 
Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases. Mm-hmm.